Um, yes, thank you for that welcome. And um, the, um, just the, the encouragement that it has been, I had the opportunity to speak at the, the first service, of course, earlier. And it was just so encouraging to me, the conversations I had with some of you who are still here. And also to, to know that there are those of you in the congregation here at THCC who have this broad range of interest and involvement in world mission. And that this church clearly looks not just at what happens in the building and in the immediate streets around the building, but has a vision to see Jesus proclaimed throughout the world. And that is, is such a, a joy to be here in that, in that environment. And if, if, you know, the, the title that I've given to the, what I want to share this morning is the transforming impact of God's word. As, um, as Tony said, I work with Wycliffe Bible translators and a common myth about Wycliffe Bible translators, and I know that there's people here who know quite a lot about Wycliffe Bible translators or people who maybe are online, um, is that the goal of Wycliffe Bible translators is to produce Bibles. That's not true. The goal of Wycliffe Bible translators is to see the Word of God available, accessible, understandable and applied in people's lives in order that it can cause change, it can cause transformation in individuals and the communities in which those individuals are and ultimately that the world will be changed. That is the goal of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And so, if we can move to the, the next slide please, that I just want to say so why does the, the Bible matter to you? As we kind of begin to talk about Bible translation, other, rather than thinking about the other, the Bible for somebody else, let's begin by thinking about where we are today. You've got someone sitting next to you or someone in your bubble where you are. Um, some of you have had the opportunity to do this already. So, you know, ask, get someone to start who didn't have the opportunity to talk last time, because I know that you three talked before. But why does the Bible matter to you? Share, just sit, share something. Just, I'll give you just a two minutes. And, you know, if you're at home with a family or something like that, have that conversation in your living room. Why does the Bible matter to you? If you're on your own, just reflect for that. Two minutes, two minutes to do that. It's the sort of question that perhaps we could talk about for a long time because those of us who, who love the Lord, the Bible is his word to us. And so for many of us, the Bible is a precious thing. God's word has spoken into our lives to change it. But is it something that everyone has access to? Well, no. Did you know there's over 1.5 billion people in the world who don't have the whole Bible in the languages they know best? They may have a Bible that's used in their country in a language that they don't use very often, which means that they'll get some of it, but not all of it. 
But it means that the word of God, for 1.5 billion people, the word of God doesn't speak in the language that they might use when they're with their husband or their wife or their children or their nearest family. They are not hearing scripture speaking to them in the language that they know, the language that they know best. There, next slide there. We're going to watch a video. It's just a very short video. And I think this gives us a great picture of what that means. Imagine you're at a banquet, but this feast isn't food or drink. It's a Bible banquet, and it's a big banquet. 7,099 guests, to be exact. One for every language of the world. At one end of the table, there is abundance. In English, there are hundreds of Bible translations to choose from, more than anyone could ever consume. But imagine if you were seated at the other end of the table. Imagine if you didn't have a Bible or even a single verse of scripture in your own language. What would you feel about a God who didn't speak your language? Can you imagine never having understood God's word? Would you have come to know him? This is Bible poverty. And Wycliffe Bible Translators was founded to end it. 1.5 billion people cannot access the Bible in their own language. 160 million do not have a single verse of scripture. It's not fair. It's not just. Will you help us battle this injustice? Our vision is to put an end to Bible poverty, to create universal access to the Bible. We're working to make God's word accessible to everyone, no matter what language they speak. Much has been accomplished, but much remains to be done. Please consider helping us end this injustice. This work needs your support through prayer, giving, or even going. Find out more at wycliffe.org.uk So, I'm going to tell you some more. If we go on to the next slide there... It talks about just what does this mean? You might say, well, give me the numbers. What do they really mean? 1.5 billion people means one in five people in the world doesn't have access to the complete Bible in their own language. Were you surprised by the numbers of languages that are spoken in the world? More than 7,000, more than 7,360 languages. Languages die out but there are still a lot of languages in the world. Some of those are spoken by very small groups of people, maybe in islands or remote mountain areas. Some of these languages that still require Bible translation are spoken by many millions of people in places where the church or missionaries are still kind of, maybe there's restricted access and people need Um, still need scripture in their own language. Some of the languages of the world have some portions of the Bible. They perhaps have gospels. Maybe even they have some epistles. They might have the whole New Testament. But as we'll see when we look at the scriptures, in many ways you need to know about the Old Testament in in order to understand the New Testament. 
There are many languages that are having active Bible translation work going on today. This does not mean that there are international Bible translators coming from Europe and are doing Bible translation. In those 2,700 languages, it's very often Christians, speakers of those languages from that language community, people from that nation who are investing themselves in being sure that there is scripture in their own language with support from people who are perhaps um, people who have experience in biblical languages, people who are really good exegetes, people who can help think about naturalness and clarity. It's a cooperative activity with people with different skills working together. One of the things that really strikes me is when people think about Bible translation, they often think only of spoken languages, the languages that people speak. And yet, there are over 30 million deaf people in the world today who do not use a spoken language, they use a signed language. There are over 400 sign languages in the world, and only one has a complete Bible. Talk about Bible poverty. The deaf as a people group around the world, only one. And unsurprisingly, that's American Sign Language, which is a, <clears throat> a, a dominant sign language in North America. Where are the Bible translation needs? Many of them are in Sub-Saharan Africa. A very few are in Europe. Many of those among the Roma communities of Eastern Europe. But the vast majority of Bible translation needs are in that blue part of the world on, on the map here. The Middle East, Central Asia, South Asia, and on into some of the um, Southeast Asian, Asian countries. If you think about those countries that end in the world, word stan, many of the Bible translation needs are in those parts of the world. The Middle East, where many people have not had access to scripture because it is not supported in that, that culture. A huge need for Bible translation, particularly for the marginalized people groups of the Middle East. Huge needs for Bible translation among the small tribal communities of India. And as I'll say more of later, in those communities in Bangladesh, that are marginalized, that are the tribal communities of a vast nation, but they don't have access to scripture. Next slide, please. So, why is it important? Let's put all of this into kind of a biblical context. I know in the church you've been looking at, at the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews, I think, is an absolutely fascinating book. And it, it's a book that demonstrates the importance of understanding the Old Testament in order to really see what God is saying to us in the New Testament. And this verse, for the word of God is, a is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts 
and intentions of the heart. That first part, for the word of God, is living and active, or alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, is perhaps one of the most quoted verses that we take out of the Bible when we think about the importance of God's word. And to me, it's obviously, because I'm so interested in Bible translation, it's a highlight of the book. But if we look at it in the kind of flow or the narrative of Hebrews, we see why it's so important. Because in Hebrews chapter 3, right at the the end of that that chapter of Hebrews chapter 3, we saw that the people of Israel, they were unable to enter into the land that God had promised them because of their unbelief. They'd failed to trust in God. They'd failed to act on the belief. And they were kind of stuck at the borders of Canaan. Read all about that in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. It led to an entire generation of people wandering the desert rather than finding their rest in the promised land. They, could, they, weren't, they did not find themselves secure and confidently in the place where the Lord wanted them to be. I love the phrase in Hebrews chapter 4 that talks about entering his rest. It intrigues me what that means. When I, when I was reflecting on entering his rest, I thought about the whole idea of being in a place of safety, being gathered close to the Lord, being where the Lord wants me to be, experiencing life in all its abundance. What does being, what is entering his rest to you? When I think about that and the peoples of the world that we are concerned about, I feel it's also related to finding hope. Because there is a hopelessness in being separated from God. I also find the whole idea in this verse, in verse 12, of the sword being intriguing. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. If you see a picture of a swordsman, what do you think about? It might symbolize power, protection, authority, strength, courage. The word of God is all that and more for you today. The word of God is the authority by which we know who Christ is. The word of God is there to give us courage. And nothing about our own motives, our desires and our hearts is hidden from God And his word speaks to us about that. I love how it comes together and helps us understand who God is. 
I love the analogy of the double-edged sword. You can look at that metaphor in many different ways. But I think about the way Scripture speaks to me of the joy that there is in Christ and the way that I can see the need for sorrow over my sin. And yet there is always hope. I see myself in scripture. Maybe that's what you shared with one another. You see yourself. My heart is challenged. When I read the Psalms, I see myself in the words of the prophet, of the psalmists. Sometimes I see myself in the prophets. I'm directed to live in ways that are aligned with scripture. And I sorrow when I deviate from what scripture calls me. There's times when I feel as if I'm laid bare before his word and times when I say, thank you, Lord, that you welcome me despite all of that. The Holy Spirit in me and in each believer convicts me of truth and the word is part of that. So earlier I asked you, why does the Bible matter to you? How has it made a change in your life? The Bible essentially is central to knowing and understanding God's plan for us, <clears throat> for life in Christ. And if others, whether those directly around this, this meeting place, in this city, around the world, are going to know what life in Christ is, Part of that will come through knowing what his word says to them. And they need to know it in the languages that they would understand. So it really gets to their heart. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. It helps them see the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. So I shared that in many parts of the world people groups, they don't have access to scripture. I know that this church is very concerned about Bangladesh, and I lived in Bangladesh for, for more than four years and have been involved in activities associated with the people groups of Bangladesh um, for, for many years now. There are... For, about 42 languages spoken in the country. One of the things that people who are involved in Bible translation and associated activities do is called language assessment. How many languages are there? Are those languages living? Are people talking them, are speaking them, or are they dying out? But there are about 42 languages that are vibrant languages being used by the peoples of Bangladesh. And Bible translation is necessary. There are multiple organizations active in Bangladesh ensuring that the peoples of that country have access to scripture. If I were to look at this map, on the, the northeast and in the southeast, there's Bible translation happening among the Tripura and the Kyang. In the northwest, there's Bible translation happening among the Kol people. And the Garo people in the sort of north, yeah, north central area of the country. 
The Bangladesh Bible Society is doing Bible translation for the Shantali people. There's Bible translation being done by another national organization for the Ushoi Tripura, just north of Coxey's Bazaar area there. And all over the Chittagong Hill Tracts, there's Bible translation for the Kiang people, the Muru people, and Murma communities there. But there's also huge illiteracy in Bangladesh among the minority communities. Bangladesh is one of those countries in the world that has done absolutely amazingly in raising the standard of education across the country. But there are still pockets of illiteracy around the country. And so a written translation is not what all those minority peoples perhaps need. What can be done in terms of oral stories that pastors and church leaders and Christians can use with one another? They're being crafted for the Tripura people, the Murma people, the Muru and the Kumi people. What can be done with technology, because with the Bible apps, even for feature phones, even if people don't have smartphones, what can be done with the, um, oops, I've forgotten the word, the SD cards that you put in even feature phones? How can we make sure that people have access? It's not just about translation. It's about access. It's about use. It's about understanding. It's about change. And what could better help change this? Well, better trained pastors, especially for pastors and leaders in the most rural areas who often haven't had the chance to get any formal training. How can we support that? How can we think of creative ways to help this current generation engage with God's word? There's lots going on throughout the world in the use of social media, scripture apps, What about literacy and education? Wycliffe and associated organizations support national organizations in thinking about mother tongue literacy programs, multilingual education for children. It's all about collaboration between churches and mission agencies, different ones wanting to see people have access to God's word, access application, transformation. Perhaps the most powerful message comes through the testimony of lives transformed by God's word. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the role of Philip in making the scriptures clear to, to the Ethiopian eunuch. Perhaps you've heard that part where the Ethiopian is coming back from being at the temple and he has the scroll and the scroll is the book of Isaiah the prophet. And Acts chapter 8 verse 30 says, so Philip, who was an evangelist, basically was brought by the Holy Spirit to find the Ethiopian and Philip ran to him and heard him reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? 
And that's the whole thing. It's not about producing a book. That book might just sit on a shelf. It's about having that word of God that can be used in order that people's lives can be transformed, can be changed. People can discover that God's love for them is unique and perfect. There can be hope. So, there are 1.5 billion people who don't have access to the complete Bible. Will you pray that they will have that guide? Like Philip was the guide for the Ethiopian. Will you pray that they will have that guide? First of all, that they will have the word. They will have someone who will guide them to understand and apply the word of God and that people will be led to live in the confidence and security of their rest in Christ. I'm going to pray just very briefly and hand over there. Lord, the peoples of the world need to know you. And many of them don't yet realize that the answer is in Christ, in Christ alone. You and your plan for the world is revealed through the word of God. I pray, Lord, that people will have access to your word. They will understand it and apply it so that their lives will be changed dramatically and that their communities will be renewed in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen.